Welcome into episode 204 of the Modern Drummer Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Arturia. Go to Arturia.com, click on the Products tab, and look at the AudioFuse 8 Pre. This is a brand new audio interface. Again, it's called the AudioFuse 8 Pre. It's a new audio interface that's designed with the drummer in mind. It connects uh, easily to a PC or Mac via USB. It has eight microphone preamps, which should be enough to record your whole kit, at least to get you started. And what's cool about it is you can link up multiple AudioFuse 8 Pre's together if you want to expand your setup. And you can also use it to work with other pieces of gear as an external 8-channel mic preamp. Here's the cool part. It's only $6.99, so that's, you're getting 8 high-quality mic preamps for basically under 100 bucks a piece. Not basically, actually, under $100 a piece, which is super cool. And they throw in the AudioFuse Creative Suite effects bundle, which gives you some really nice, well-made preamp emulators, some classic compressor emulators, some filters, and other effects so you can then mix your drums and have them sound great, put them out into the world. So again, go to Audi- Arturia, so that's A-R-T-U-R-I-A.com slash products and then you'll find the audio fuse 8 pre audio interface um, so yeah this is um the first one for them so thanks for sponsoring the show and we're going to get to our intro beat this is by one of my favorite drummers on instagram ian hits drum so if you're not following him go to at ian hits drums check out his page lots of really creative drum and bass live drum and bass stuff in this particular clip, he's playing a 13 by 22 sugar percussion poplar bass drum with no front head, a sugar percussion 14 inch floor tom, and a 5 by 14 mahogany snare. Check it out. Here's Ian hits drums, and let's get the show going. We gotta start one of these episodes serious. <laughs> I don't think it's just possible. for God. What's because of our stupid conversations before the dang podcast starts? That's the problem, man. One day, I don't know what number we're on. Episode two hundred four. Two hundred four. Here we go. <laughs> for a split second, I was the responsible Mike. <laughs> How are you, buddy? Hey, I'm good. Um, I actually, um, yeah, I'm good. I was experimenting on the kit again. I feel like I, I took a week of like stay away from the studio which was nice but then i set up some big drums and i'm just experimenting again and it's just what i'm what i'm happy is i don't feel guilty about not playing drums for a day or so like yeah. that's finally i'm at that point where i'm like okay i'm not i'm not paranoid that i'm going to forget everything anymore i think there's some stuff that's ingrained and i'm i'm okay with it that said i'm still always on the practice pad for at least 20 minutes a day and i think that gives me that comfort of Take some time. Don't worry about playing your drum set for a while. But yeah, I, I think it's a decent trade-off. The The inspiration you get when you're back on a drum set yeah. is something that I think most of us, I fear that the most. I, I fear those moments where I see my drum set, I have the time to practice, and honestly, I'm just not inspired to practice. That is not a good feeling. Yeah. I love feeling like, please get me back to my kit. Yeah. I'm ready to go. I mean, that's a great yeah. feeling for me. The worst feeling is when you're at the kit and it's like, what is this thing? Like nothing, nothing mm-hmm. comes out right. I'm like, like I'm, I'm not a drummer. Like this, I need to go do something else. <laughs> like my seat's in the wrong height. Like yeah, I just for can't. Everyone figure it out. listening, this is the moment to realize. Yes, we all go through it. We all feel exactly like what Mike said. Am I even a drum? Like what? 
Like, I did take lessons, right, when I was seven? <laughs> yeah, I had lessons. Yeah. yeah. My feet do move, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then I, then I look down and start finding anything I can possibly adjust on the pedal. It can't be me. Oh, yeah. It's, gotta be it's always the seat height. It's the pedal. It's the beater height. Yeah. It's the, yep. Yeah, it's everything except for the fact that I'm just not feeling it. Well, I mean, my stupid drums were made 60 years ago. They can't possibly work anymore. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I got to go swap out to a new kit. I got to get online. Speaking of which, did you get a new kit? Did you get a White Marine Pearl kit or something? Did you get a White Marine Pearl kit? (laughs) You did. I don't think we talked about it. You got a new kit. We did not. I did, yeah. Uh, So that is a specific kit. And the reason why it hasn't been shown very much is it was specifically designed for the release of the snare drum at NAMM. So we, it was kind of silly, but I, I can tell you right now, being an endorsed artist, being a three-piece kit drummer really helps with being endorsed. Mm, right, right. Because if I need, if I literally just called Andrew and I said, hey, I'm a little bit worried about the shoot uh, that we're going to do for all the NAMM or the pre-NAMM stuff. Uh, when the snare comes out, should... Should I borrow a drum set? I mean, all my drum sets are dark, and the snare drum is flat black. I just feel like if we're filming a snare drum, it's not really going to pop against a flat black kit. And he said, dude, we can just build you a kit. I mean, you have a 20-inch bass drum, a 12-inch tom, and a 14-inch floor tom. It's not Mm. the end of the world. I can't imagine that if I was rolling full Portnoy, yeah, right. that they, they, they would say, uh, we'll see what we got in the Gretsch Energy line for you. So, yeah, I did get paint. a U.S. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we just suggest you head on down to Home Depot. You can invoice us for the spray paint. We'll cover that. But, yeah, so, uh, so they made me a white marine pearl Gretsch USA custom, and I'm just not using it because I don't want it to get overused before that video shoot. Oh, okay. All right, but it okay. is here, and and it's my first ever since I was maybe twelve. My first ever bass drum mount rack tom, non virgin bass drum. Oh, it has the mount like the big hole yeah. drilled into it. Yep, yeah, yep. and it still sounds fine, doesn't it? <laughs> Especially when you put two pillows in it. What is the difference? <laughs> By the way, I only use one pillow. I don't want you guys to freak out and be like, "You're killing the tone." <laughs> but. That was always something that I struggled with so much when I when I started to I guess my first high end drum set that I paid for myself was the uh, it was a Mapex what was the one under the Orion the Saturn Saturn yeah I think so I I I bought a, a Sonar Force one thousand when I was probably sixteen that was my first name brand drum set then I got my job at Drum Guitar City and got a discount and I bought a Mapex Saturn. And I remember just thinking, well, I just looked up the cost for the bass drum, which at the time was maybe eight fifty. To me, that was more than any drum set I'd ever uh-huh. paid for. So the right. bass drum, I was like, this is insane. And now I'm supposed to put a pillow in it? And <laughs> to make it sound like every other cheap bass drum in the world, like, I want to hear the tone. This is the first bass drum I've ever owned where it actually sounds good with nothing in it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then you take it to a club, and they shut you down. Yeah, it sounds quick. like a basketball. I mean, I literally just had that happen to me yesterday. I was in my studio messing around with this big 24-inch bass drum. It sounds so awesome just to play it with nothing in it. I put a mic, not even inside it, in front of it, and it's like, man, there's like no low end. It's just all boing. It's like, this does not represent this drum well at all. So I just put like a simple bath towel in it, and that's all it took, a little bit. I think think it's a myth that you can really roll with a wide-open bass drum, unless you're playing jazz or something where that's part of the sound. Well, yeah, and and in that case, you're not playing a wide-open bass drum. You're playing an 18-inch tom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And... 
Uh, and yeah, just like I don't want to put a towel in my floor tom, I wouldn't put it in an 18-inch wide-open jazz bass drum. I mean, I used to do things where Tim Metz, my jazz buddy, would bring over his bop kit while we were, we'd do a, a live stream about jazz. And since I have no right to be teaching a jazz lesson, I would bring in a jazz drummer. So my buddy Tim would come in, and he's a Gretsch artist. And we would just listen to which is higher, my 10-inch Tom or your 18-inch bass drum. <laughs> and it was always his 18-inch bass drum. <laughs> I was like, dang, man. That makes me think, uh, why hasn't anyone ever created a drumstick beater? It's just like a drumstick instead of a fluffy felt thing. Oh. Why not? Maybe just because of the angle? I mean, I guess you'd have to I mean, if, it's, if you're going to tune it like a Tom, why not have it hit it with a stick? Man, you're about All to right, change somebody the damn get industry. on that. <laughs> Buzz rolls All right, with now, your fettle and everything. Speaking of gear, let's talk about the snare drum giveaway. Indeed. So we were going to pull the winning entry this week, and then I looked at the calendar and realized next week uh, is actually yeah right. August sixteenth is our fourth anniversary of this podcast. So we're going to delay it one week. We're going to celebrate four years of insane drum nerd fellowship <laughs> i cannot believe it's been four years that means that it check. was five years ago that we talked about this uh at nam yeah and then we probably you and i probably started this about six seven months after that yeah uh, well okay so if this is our four-year anniversary then that means that it was nam 2014 or i no. guess uh, yeah, in, in nam 2015 in, in january yep then eight months later boom yeah crazy so yeah this nam show will be the fifth year that we've been <laughs> I don't even want to. It was already awkward enough to go to Carter's show together. <laughs> like, why are you in the same room as me? Uh, so anyway, we're going to delay the giveaway, so you can still enter if you uh, use the hashtag Modern Drummer Podcast on Instagram. If you want to email us, mdinfo at modern dot com to enter. We're going to do just a random drawing. I'm going to put every all the entries together and assign a number, and we're going to randomly select a number, and that's going to be our winner. So you have another week. So on August 16th, we will be announcing who wins the... It is a three-ply <laughs> mahogany poplar walnut uh, vintage style snare drum. And I will say right now, Stelios, first of all, now I know how to say your name. <laughs> it also helps that I've actually been to Greece now. But if we were choosing a winner based off of effort and creativity, you are the winner. Uh, but it is going to be random. So... <laughs> Just know we're not picking favorites here. And Stelios, I will, I'm going to set you up with something. You are going to win something because, <laughs> damn. If you guys haven't seen, just go to Instagram, check out the hashtag Modern Drummer Podcast, and watch this dude's videos. He has been, he's had people shocked back to life with an EKG thingy, <laughs> the heart jobbies. He's been pulled over by a cop that had, I mean, it's, the amount of creativity this guy has put in to just entering this contest is oh, so man. unbelievable and so appreciated. Have you seen the skydive one? I don't. I don't know if it's what? him. Someone. Yes. There's. There was one that's somebody oh <laughs> on a plane about to skydive. <laughs> okay. I have to go back through the feed because, damn, that guy, he'll get something, too. Everybody gets something. Um, Everybody's a winner. Mike's giving away everything. Just hit him up at Mike at Mike's Where, Yeah. Wherever you are right now, look under your seat. There's a little tag for a free cowbell. Speaking of cowbells. Hey, that's right. So, did, did you get to see any of this stuff that I posted? Like any of the footage, like stories or any of the I saw, Instagram yeah, just stuff? some of the, the pictures. Um I didn't really know what was going on. It looked like you had a heck of a shoot set up. So you went down to L.A. and yep. 
you were filming this would be content to go when the pot when the cowbell was released which is when yeah so so the minor groove bell uh we're still waiting really it's it's all done they're all made and from what i understand udo was um just at the factory and sent me uh a bunch of pictures of like hundreds of cowbells sitting on a table so (laughs) from what i understand they're on their way to america right now and we're just waiting for them to get in stores before we officially announce it so this video has to get done pretty quick okay and yeah there's something and i'm assuming i have to assume this is very normal in new york but in sacramento it's not very normal but there's a website called peer space where you can just people rent out their rooms uh, uh. so and it it could be like what we used which was uh, a nice warehouse space i was honestly looking for color i wanted a white room with concrete floors and then something very contrasty so this one the window uh, all the window frames were black so it's a completely white room white pillars concrete floor and then black window frames and then we had to wait for the sun to go down because i wanted the windows completely blacked out Mm. and then i wanted my blue sparkle kit that's why i drove down is i wanted to bring my kit my blue sparkle vintage kit and then that cowbell is like a rusty brown and i knew it would just stand out against the walls and against the kit so but you could use something like that or a lot of times it's families that maybe they have an old house from the 70s and they're they just never really updated it so you would rent out your home for a film crew to come in and shoot a 70s scene that's their actors very california (laughs) 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 yeah totally come into my house shoot malcolm in the middle get out uh so yeah, so that's what it. So Peer Space makes it super easy. It's not. I'm not affiliated with them in any way. I just never used it before. Mm-hmm. But my director said, "Dude, if you don't, e- I won't even go scouting for you. Just jump on Peer Space, type in the zip code or you know Los Angeles, California, and you'll find hundreds of places. And then they're all rented by the hour. And I had to find a place that was okay with. I am going to be drumming until midnight. And this oh, happened yeah. to be in downtown Los Angeles in. Like a warehouse district, so the drumming was never a problem. Nobody ever came over and asked us to keep it quiet. Wild. I wonder if that's around here. I know around here, the New Jersey's weird because it's like there's all these nondescript industrial complexes, like we're in one here. And I right. looked at the map, and there's like five TV studios within like two miles of this place. And you really? would just never know it. They're just tucked all over the place because we were looking for places for potentially doing some live uh, video feeds and stuff. Okay. It's crazy. I guess it's all because... You know, New York real estate's so expensive, so sure. But yeah, I mean it's it's definitely worth looking into. I don't know what the rates would be, but it was really cool. And then uh the director, you guys can follow him, uh it's at Richie Films and then check out at Richie Drums because he's an amazing professional drummer as well. And he he really went from just being the director to being the producer, really helped me a lot with all the planning and just did an amazing job. So yeah, so we shot all the cowbell footage and we brought in a bunch of former campers. Uh, so that they could play it and we could film them playing it for the first time and putting the bell mutes on it and hearing what it sounds like wide open. What does it sound like with the magnet on it? Uh, all that kind of stuff. So that was a lot of fun. And just even two of the campers that showed up randomly invited, I totally forgot that they had ever attended camp together. So one walks in the room oh, like, wow. no way. And they, they haven't <laughs> seen each other in two years and they're all freaking out. And it was really, really cool. So we had a great time. Um, so do you check all of hand. your footage before you leave? Like, so no, it doesn't work quite like that on this level. There's so the footage, you know, it's all shot in 4K on cinema cameras and everything. So no, they pretty much after every major shot, then you run over to the computers, back it up onto the computer, then back that oh, up okay. to a secondary gotcha. hard drive. Then the way it'll work is like I get nothing 
even though I will be doing one of the edits of this, uh, now what will happen is the director will then transfer all the footage onto a third hard drive and ship me the hard drive of the actual footage. And uh, so... So yeah, so it's it's crazy. I'm in I'm in control of the audio. Uh, so I brought my laptop. I brought a four channel interface, and we did kind of my normal thing: two overhead. This time we did two overheads and a kick, just so we could have a stereo spread. Mm. But that was it, and it's in a warehouse. And we hung as many sound blankets as we could, <laughs> but you can only hang them so much because it's for video, not just for audio. So right. we can't just hang them right by the kit. Mm, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty pretty echoey. So we'll see what happens. So you're going to be cussing. <laughs> Are you using Pro Tools to mix it, or are you using something else? Yeah, I'm using Pro Tools. Yeah, so you're going to yeah. be yelling at Avid here in a couple yeah. Of hours? <laughs> yeah. I'm so scared over my my laptop. I just don't even want to hear it. I'm just like, ah, it's going to be like... But honestly, I, I'm actually kind of excited. We're clearly in a warehouse. Like When you see the video, clearly in a warehouse. It's okay that it there's some roomy. echo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm fine with it. Uh, everyone has heard me play drums with two mics for the last three years. I, I don't have that direct in-your-face sound. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I went the last time to do studio stuff with Meinl, that was my last time having a video shot with me with my Tom going, doom, like right in your face. And I was like, God, this is so foreign to me. Like I haven't, I haven't recorded with direct mics in so long. So I, I think it'll, it'll be just fine. Most now, importantly, we had a great vibe. So. so you're using stereo overheads for the first time in a while, right? So mm-hmm. this is something I have to make a decision when I'm mixing – how am I going to pan it? Because if the video is shot front on, the hi-hat needs to be over to the right. But if there's an overhead oh. camera, the hi-hat needs to be to the left. So how are you going to do the spread? <laughs> wow. Man, you just you just changed my day. I might even have to mix it with headphones instead of my laptop speakers. <laughs> it's minor, but I think, feel like if the front shot is extended and the hi-hat is clearly on the wrong side, that's really disconcerting. I totally agree. That's a great point. And yeah, every, we have no overhead cams. Everything is handheld. We okay. wanted a very natural look. Uh, so everything is handheld, and I think the hi-hat will be on the viewer's right the entire time. Mm-hmm. Good point. Thank you, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, don't, I made that mistake far too many times. It, you know, And I think most people probably don't notice it, but I think anyone who's really paying attention, they're like, something's not right. Something just didn't Yeah, happen. I mean, most everybody is going to be forced to hear this in mono if they hear it on Instagram or right. Facebook. But I don't know. Does YouTube leave things in stereo? Since I mix in mono, I don't even have to think about it. Yeah, it does. Yep. Okay. I, that makes sense. Awesome. Well, I think we're all caught up, man. Thanks so much. I got to get out of town. It was great talking to you. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with some actual drum talk here. I feel like this should be the modern film film podcast or something. Don't even. Filming. Hey. Don't you worry about what I have in the works. Modern drum video podcast or something. I, I am definitely starting a podcast soon, which is going to be, ah, it doesn't matter, but it, it will be related to that from the moron's point of view. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some drum stuff. So the September issue has a second article by uh, the great teacher, jazz drummer Steve Fiddick, on funkifying your swing. So this time he's taking... A note-for-note transcription of the classic super funky uh, groove from Soul Vaccination by Tower Power with the great David Garibaldi on drums. So he transcribes that note-for-note and then essentially just turns it into a swing feel and you know replaces the ride cymbal with the ride pattern and all that stuff. So I thought we should probably start by listening to David play the original beat, which is taken from his... 
Alfred instructional video from the early 90s, I believe. Let's check it out. One, two, one, two, three. So I think it's important to point out a couple things. The original version of that was released in 1973. So a long time ago. And I think that still sounds every bit as modern and contemporary. I mean, that's what people are playing now. That's what everyone on Instagram is doing. They're doing this. Absolutely. I I think that David Garibaldi and Steve Gadd have had the biggest influence on modern Instagram and no one <laughs> under 20 knows knows about it. You know what I mean? Because they're taking it from somebody else who took it from these guys and borrowing it from there. But it's still, when you hear them do it, like even just hearing that, that even that clip, that's old, man. I had yeah. that that DVD. Even that, if you put the... If, <laughs> I'm telling you, if a 17-year-old played that right now on Instagram... It, it, <laughs> Go bananas! <laughs> it's so clean, so good. It, it's weird the way that David Garibaldi gets his snare sound because you can't. It's like that has to be a rim shot, but why are there no overtones? But it, yeah. how would a rim shot be that consistent every time with the ghost notes that close to it? It's it's unreal, man. Yeah, you kind of have to watch him play too. It's like not the most visually exciting way to play the drums, but everything he does is so precise. I mean, he's I totally agree. He's like an it's assassin incredible. on the drums. Okay, so let's just take just the hi-hat part of that. Rhythmically, you've got one and a two E and three E a four and. One and a two E and three E a four and. So what Steve does is you can feel that in halftime or he just transposes that rhythm into eighth notes. So it goes from one and a two E and three E a four and to one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four, one, two and three. And four, one, and two, and three, four. Pretty cool. Just that alone. Without, we're not even swinging yet. That changes everything because a lot of people could could understand that and could sight read that. Mm-hmm. When you see soul vaccination written out, you go, "Yeah, I'm good. Never mind." <laughs> I know. So it's like so many sixteen notes. <laughs> it's like eh. now. Okay, before we really dive into Steve's thing that he's doing with this. Just looking at number one, just looking at soul vaccination written out, do you learn that as a groove all at once, or do you do what I just did, which is what is the hi-hat doing, then what is the kick doing, then let me bring in the snare, or do you just kind of truck through the whole thing and sight read it? I learned this type of stuff, which I guess you would call it harmonically, so I I'd learn it. I don't separate the limbs. I, I separate the beats. So okay. I might so just four do notes at a time. Maybe yeah, beat one and and what happens? Can I get that beat one and two? Beat one, two, and three. You know, maybe occasionally I'll, I'll isolate what each limb is on. If it's if it's a really contrapuntal thing where the ride symbol is doing something that's really not related to the snare drum, they're just kind of overlapping. Right. This I feel like it's a sticking pattern. So I need to learn what the hands are doing. It's almost like a rudimental kind of flam thing. Yeah. So that's how I approach it. I would like like try to take it one chunk at a time. Let's beat one and then get each limb unison tight and then move yeah, on. Yeah, I, I end up doing that 
to learn it. And then once I get there and I can play the whole thing, I recognize, hmm, this is a beat, but not a groove. And that's when I go back and I go, I wonder what the hi-hat's doing by itself. And mm-hmm. I see that there. And then I'm, I'm looking around like, where's the melody? Like, where's the groove? Because I can play these notes. And, I, and if we slow it down to 7 BPM, I can sight read the whole thing just like anyone else could. I can play the first note, the second note, the third note, but that doesn't mean it's grooving. And so once I can do exactly what you said, I get one eanda down and I own that and then two eanda. If it's still not grooving, then I will go in and just try to figure out what the hi-hat is doing. Am I missing any ghost notes? Am I missing any accents? Uh, I, and I would definitely spend a lot of time with the hands only on a pad. Yeah, like, can I, just like you said, can I get that sticking pattern down? Yeah, it, for me, this is a hard one to kind of say which limb is the melody because I think it's it's volleying between snare drum, bass drum, and then the hi hat jumps. Open hi hat. Yeah, it's yeah. like each limb has its spot to be part of the melody, and then everything else is just kind of filling in the gaps. It's a and wicked it, beat. You know that just that open hi hat on the E of three. Uh, this, by the way, this educational section is all about David Garibaldi, which we mentioned in the beginning. It's, it has nothing to do with Steve Fiddick. <laughs> I'm sure Steve's listening like, hey, hey, the lesson hasn't even started yet. But well, you got to learn the original before you can yes, then swing totally. it. Totally. Yeah. That E of three and downbeat of four. One E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one E and a two E and a three E and a four. That's where you're hearing those open hi-hats that David played. That is still, I still hear, hear people doing that as like, oh, I'm going to play something funky. They don't even know why they're doing it. It's just the E of three, the downbeat of four. Such a cool place to put those open hi-hats. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that might be one of my all-time favorite beats that I've never really sat with and mastered. But every time I hear it, I'm like, that that's a top ten beat. That's perfectly totally. perfectly agree. written groove. It's Not amazing. to mention the E lasts for one sixteenth note. The and or the downbeat of four lasts for an eighth note. So it's dips dips. Yeah, dips, right. Dips. Yeah, different articulations. I mean, yeah, it's insane. Okay, I want to okay. remind well, I, you I'm again. Actually... This was released in 1973. I feel like. You put this beat on like a kit, a small bass drum with some, you know, some trashy stuff on the snare and maybe some broken hi hats, and you sound like Nate Wood or anyone or anyone else that's Absolutely. totally cutting edge at the moment. It's insane. So anyway, so what Steve does is he plays it in halftime and then he interjects the swing feel. And there's just, I mean, we can't really even go through all the the variations, but just that mentality of take a funk beat that you know quote-unquote no play it in halftime and then swing all the eighth notes and now you've got a modern jazz vocabulary to work with yeah i'm I'm just looking at number three just trying to sight read the swung version of number two so you've got one two a three a four one uh i'm sorry one a a three Four, yeah, Oof. yeah. So you're already playing like broken ride cymbal stuff, kind of a la Mel Lewis, super hip, or yeah. Dejanet, or you know, Roy Haynes. So it's that's a good tactic. So I think get any kind of funk drumming book. I mean, Garibaldi's book would be an obvious place to start, and just use that as your yeah. jazz comping you vocabulary. Use, if you're like, yeah, you could use Future Sounds. Uh, you could use Rick Latham's book, um, Advanced yeah. Funk Studies. Any transcription book that has all that seventies. Any yeah. funk stuff. In What's it? the one with the uh, the dragon claws for bass drum spurs? 
The Funky Primer? <laughs> I don't know. That's one of your favorites. I never worked on that. What? <laughs> it's not one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite covers because like, I was high as hell. <laughs> the Funky Primer. <laughs> I just know that when the cover artist submitted that to the author, the author was like, yeah, that'll do. That'll do. You replace the bass drum spurs with dragon claws? Count me in. And you got a, a, like a weird pirate sailor on the kit? Yeah, I'm good. Oh, goodness Moving gracious. on. Okay, so uh, the other thing that you know I, I've made a focus on the hi-hat for this explanation, but he's doing the whole thing. So those ghost notes, the accents on the snare, they're all coming down into this as well. So you're getting this really cool comping thing. Um, the bass drum is part of it as well. He's transposing the whole thing. So yeah. I, I can tell you right now, my biggest goal would not be playing number three because I could sight read number three. My biggest goal would be, can I play number three and remember how it's related to to soul vaccination yeah and then do i still hear it or yeah or does it become its own thing entirely but it's still directly related and then what steve does he says okay let's now let's start to transform this thing so now let's forget about what's the original bass drum part let's have the bass drum double whatever the right hand is doing so now it's a whole different thing or you know just different the left foot can now get involved and maybe that'll double the accents or the ghost notes it it kind of becomes this whole universe of yes Garibaldi inspired but by the end of it you're like ah this doesn't sound like soul vaccination anymore and by the end of it you're also left at a place that you could have never gotten yourself to without the original idea and it wasn't going to show up in a book and so I think that that's especially for any of us that have been practicing a good chunk of our lives we are looking for I don't need new material I just need a new way to approach my old material because I'm I'm I know deep in my heart I'm not done with stick control syncopation but right. I've, i have been doing it for almost four decades <laughs> so when somebody else comes to me and says oh have you ever tried this i'm like that is brilliant no i've never tried that yeah now i get to start the book all over again i feel like this is whenever someone asks me you know how do i work on creativity it's like well think about things you already know more creatively like what just do anything you can do anything with anything just think of that so take a beat you know and then flip it upside down flip the page upside down how does it read that way i mean yeah there's so much living especially if it's something like this groove where it's so timeless and it's so it's such a part of the dna of modern drumming so it's going to always be fresh no matter what you do to it it's going to always be fresh so totally if you guys need a new t-shirt idea for us you can do anything with anything yeah mike dawson it's the truth man. Do anything. no i totally agree man and that's <laughs> that's what we as private drum teachers have always had to do with our students is like, I know, I know you bought the book that I told you to buy and I know there's nothing cool in there. Trust me, the entire universe of drumming is in there. Yeah. It's just, you just gotta see not, it. It's, yeah. you gotta suck it out of it. It's yeah. not, well, let's pull that out. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> damn it. Oh, we're yeah. so close. Oh man. Okay. Uh, at twenty nine, twenty four. <laughs> get rid of that anyways you have to be willing to look at a page of notes and get the most out of those notes so check out steve fiddick's article because he's awesome man we Uh, we just came crashing to a halt but i think i think we hit on some good points yes i I agree funkifying your swing in the jazz drummers (laughs) workshop in the current issue of modern drummer that's with near z on the cover whoo what do we got next we're going to talk about our uh, featured artist, which is, I think he's he's one of the faces of what modern drumming actually means. I think it's kind mm. of the opposite of what we were just talking about, ironically, where 
we think of modern drumming being related to the super funky stuff, but the guys who are playing the biggest gigs, like Andrew Marshall, who's out with Billie Eilish, he's probably not playing too many ghost notes. He's having to deconstruct heavily produced music and then reproduce it on stage with full production arenas and have it sound like the record but have a live energy to it and not just playing along to tracks i think that's the that's the shift that i am appreciating it's not just a drummer up there playing fills over top of tracks he's actually reproducing the original version pretty much note for note but then allowing himself to just add some dynamic to it It's, I think when you see him play, you think, okay, that's pretty, pretty simple. He's hitting a pad on two and four. He's hitting a bass right. drum on a couple beats, maybe some hi-hats here and there. But put yourself in that seat and say, can you memorize a song note for note? Can you play it perfectly? Can you know where the, the samples are assigned on the different pads? And it's, it's such a different mindset. The, the people that generally produce these tracks and create these drum parts are generally not drummers. So... Th- it, it it's almost like playing rock band where you realize, yeah. okay, just so you know, I know I got a score of seven out of 100, but I am a professional drummer. <laughs> this thing makes no sense. This has nothing to do with, you know, I can play Welcome to the Jungle, right? I got this. But so sometimes what, and I, I remember when that game first came out, it was so counterintuitive to the way a drummer thinks. And a lot of this modern production, if you're playing with your fingers, and you're punching the stuff in or you're just creating it inside your computer, it's kind of counterintuitive to how a drum set player thinks. And you have to reprogram your mind to think like, okay, this is, this is the hi-hat part. This is the sampled part. Yeah. Can I get those samples? I mean, we were, you and I were watching a video of him playing, which we can play some audio from in a second. But the amount of stuff he's having to do to make it sound like he's hitting snare on two and four mm-hmm. – the dude's working back there. Yeah, or to make a decision like this this course I can get away with hitting the real drum, but on this song the course has to be this very distinct electronic sound, so I have to put yes. it on the pad. Where's the pad going to be so it looks appropriate or I'm, you know, it's like all those decisions that we kind of take for granted when you go see them play like, oh, it looks so comfortable and natural. Well, he had to build that thing from the ground up. They literally yeah. give him the the stems from the master from the original recording he's got to cut up the samples and assign it and say okay this needs to go over here and i need to get a pad here and i have to have a trigger module here and a foot switch here and and those won't be the samples for the next song yeah exactly and all has to change and there is no kit there is no like there's no e-kit that will do the what what these guys need to do (laughs) (laughs) oh Check out the new Alesis E kit. It comes with Billie Eilish's full set list <laughs> right? programmed in. God, can you imagine? <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Hey, uh, yeah, can I idea. have the Beyonce tour 2016? Thank you. Call that up. Oh man, every cover band would just be all over it. You could just Oof. do presets of everyone's show. All right, let's get on it, Roland. <laughs> okay, that would be amazing. Who are you tour. covering right now? <laughs> Boom. So So anyway, there's a bit in the story that I just want to kind of excerpt. So he's featured in the September issue 
the fact he talks a lot about his background coming from you know traditional drumming background. Went to school for drums, jazz, and played a lot of theater and did the whole thing. Shifted in the rock like most of us did, but then he realized, oh, if I really want to work, I've got to figure out this pop thing. So he taught yep. himself how to do you know all the Ableton Live stuff. There's a long piece that he kind of talks about how he does his you know his original setups using the Ableton Live. He references. Uh, Brandon Buckley as being his main so hero cool. That's because awesome. just of the, how Brandon was able to become that drummer. So he's kind of the archetype of this this drummer who can show up and play a pop gig like this. So uh, he kind of gives a little bit of background on what it takes to create his setup. So like I said, the first thing he says, he gets you know he gets the sounds and he has to cut them up or. Sometimes he gets the full song and has to cut out the samples within it. So he has to create his own samples. And then he has to orchestrate the samples around the kit. Now, here's how he does that. He says, I'll orchestrate the samples around the kit by playing through the songs. I need to feel out which parts are more drum set oriented, which ones are more sample oriented, and which ones are hybrid. A lot of times I'll end up playing an actual drum or cymbal with one limb and a pad with the other. So that's kind of the, how do you, configure your kit well you have to just kind of mm-hmm. sit down and like okay if i'm going to play these sounds where they need to be which is pretty wild i've had to do a little bit of that but not so much to be like okay i've got i've got eight pads i can put them anywhere where am i going to put them what yeah. sounds going to be there i think a lot of it is just improvisation and intuition and by the end of it you're probably like how the hell did i come up with that configuration well and i mean just you brought up a good point earlier that i'd never even thought about but how weird would it be for me to be in a crowd and somebody's playing snare on two and four It's obviously from a pad, which I'm fine with, but it's, they're playing the snare that's over their floor Tom or they're playing the pad that's over their floor Tom, but I'm hearing a snare drum that would actually throw me off visually. Like that's not where I know you're playing a pad, (laughs) but I need the snare still to be over to your left. Yeah. It would make me think that that you're automatically playing along the tracks. It feels just fake. There's a certain yeah. fakeness if it doesn't if it doesn't look totally. natural. Totally. See, there's a whole I, I, other I art to this thing. It's pretty wild. So yeah, he's a he's a good case study of anyone who's looking to do. And I think on that level, obviously this is what it takes. But even on a cover band level, there's so much gear out there now where you can just do a little bit of this stuff. And I know I've said it many times, but it just ups your show so much more. Your production value just goes so much more if you can actually do like the real sounds from whatever songs you're playing yeah, or at least yeah. a close approximation of the sounds. You know, it's crazy. The fact that he's been in the band, uh, since 2018, but that's in Billie Eilish's career. That's early on. Yeah. I guess the first so thing that she did was added live drummer to the mix. Yeah. So he's been there for this meteoric rise of a, I mean, I don't know if she's 17 or 18 now, but she's still kind of a kid. So there's got to be a little bit of that going on where you're trying to you're watching a teenager deal with massive stardom. Yeah. So you're going through that. Um, and then also just I, I mean, I know what it was like being in our mid 20s out on the road and how chaotic that was and just the mood swings you'd go through. I can't even imagine your boss is 17 and <laughs> like, selling out arenas. <laughs> yeah. How, how I mean, whew, man, Uh but it, it's cool. I, you, I really hope you guys will just check out uh, the video. Mike sent it to me earlier. Billie Eilish, My Strange Addiction drum cam. Because when you get to see what Andrew's doing, it's really, really cool. Um, and 
the other thing is if you just look to the to the right of the screen you'll see these little dots those are people <laughs> i mean the shows yeah. that these that he's playing with billy Eilish are just so massive so even if you could play all this stuff can you handle yourself and still play in flawless time on stage at an arena or at a festival show? Uh, it's, I mean, it's, this video is actually from Glastonbury. So if any of you have ever seen that on TV or even visited it and been there, you know you're dealing with about a hundred thousand people or more. It's yeah, insane. and this is one of those gigs where you can't you can't forget a part. You know, you can't be oh, like, God. oh gosh, let me fake through the course on this one. <laughs> like, no, <nah. Right. laughs> you're going to fake well, that's your the way other back thing. home is what you're going to do. I mean, just memorizing, you know, we talked about this when we reviewed the Alesis multi-pad, but just memorizing, okay, I've got three pads in front of me. They all look kind of like pads. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, you know, when we have drums, I don't have three 10-inch toms. Even if I have three toms, it's like, that's clearly a 10, that's obviously a 12, and that's a 13. <laughs> right. Oof. Man, good, good, good on you, Andrew. Yeah, You're the man, man buddy. So yeah, he has only like three videos up on his YouTube channel, but it's Andrew Marshall, uh, and it's you know, Billy Eilish, My Strange Addiction, Billy Eilish, Bad Guy, and Billy Eilish, All the Good Girls Go to Hell. So that's three. I think they're probably all from the same show, if not the same show, at least the same run. It's just a cool, you know, over the shoulder glimpse at what it takes to do that type of a gig. All right. Now we get to talk about uh, some something that you are going to London to check out. Yeah, so we have a new sponsor. This is Arturia. Arturia. Gosh, my English is awesome. Arturia okay. is sponsoring. Thank you for sponsoring the episode. So, yeah, Arturia is flying me over to London in September to do um, an in-studio demo slash video shoot of this new interface. It's called the Audio Audio Fuse 8 Pre. It's a dual-mode audio interface, which it has, you know, eight mic pre's. It has an ADAT expander, so you can you can actually use this thing as just an, an, an additional mic pre if you already have your interface you're happy with you can hook this thing up with that and expand your setup to have eight extra channels um so yeah we're gonna we're definitely gonna come back to it and go more detail once i get my chance to really check it out but it looks really legit um it's got a bunch of separate outputs i'm looking at the back of it now yeah it's got um what's cool is it comes with an effect suite which they call the audio fuse creative suite and it you know they've got the the Neve pre-looking uh, plug-in. They've got a Trident-looking preamp plug-in. They've got a, a, a 1176-looking. They've got a, a Moog filter. So it's all these, you know, they give you what you need, the essential compression EQ. Um, so, yeah, we're going to check this thing out more. Um, but if you're looking for a nice 8-channel, high-quality audio interface, check out the Audio Fuse 8 Pre by Arturia. And this, uh, and the company is uh, represented in the UK by a podcast listener, Brian. So you can support your fellow podcast listeners by getting yourself one of these for your studio. 
Again, that's Arturia. Go to Arturia.com under the products tab. You can check it out. There's some video. And probably in a couple of months, there'll be my ugly mug on that website. Wow, man. <laughs> they, I mean, they got this stuff down. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely going to check out just the, uh, the straight audio fuse because I have to travel with an interface so that I can split my tracks out live so I can front of house can get the track and I can get track and click. And I'm always looking to make that a smaller footprint and the, uh, audio in a few audio fuse, uh, looks like it might be the answer for me. So I will, uh, look into this stuff as well. And man, they got their games just completely tight on their plugins. Yeah. It's, it's I went to Sweetwater need. today and I was like, I think I'm going to download that Trident plugin. That thing looks amazing. <laughs> They also, gonna, yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'll say they also make some really cool drum machines. So just go to their website and and kind of snoop around. If you haven't heard of Arturia, they, they've they're legit. Very cool. Arturia dot com. Check it out. All right, let's get into some candy. We got ourselves. <clears throat> oh yeah, we're, we're reviewing the Canopus. So these were the snares. If you've been listening to the show for a couple of months, we did the diecast versus triple flange shootout. And these were the drums that we use for that because they are identical drums, but they have the only thing different is the finish and the hoops. So okay. these are what they call stabilized wood snares. Um, so if you're looking at the photo, they don't look like wood snares. I don't know what you would say they look like, marble or some kind of... They look like abalone shells. Abalone snares. shells, yeah, exactly. So that is a some kind of proprietary finish where they treat the outer veneer with some with some stuff some kind of resin that makes it get this crazy way to protect their secrets with some stuff <laughs> some stuff <laughs> proprietary stuff special resin is all they would tell me so it's a special so you're resin. wait so you're telling me that 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 thing that i'm looking at is actually that's the wood that's, that's been treated yeah that's the outer veneer of um, a maple shell oh my gosh i'm telling you guys it really does look like an abalone shell this is i didn't i thought that was a wrap Yes, it's beautiful. And in person, they were, I mean, they were really strikingly beautiful. And not like, not gaudy. It was, it just looked amazing and high quality, which is what right. I expect from Canopus. That everything they put out is is right in all the right ways. So what they sent was two 6 and by 14 They are 9-ply maple. Um, the one has triple flange, uh, brass finished hoops, and then the other one has die-cast chrome finished hoops. Everything else is identical. Coded ambassador, batter, ambassador snares out on the bottom, Canopus snappy wires, their standard throw-off, which is just a general side-action lever. Um, yeah, brass single-point tube lugs. So, so what, when you played these snares, uh, because when we were listening to it, I was listening more to what the hoops did and that kind of stuff, but yeah. were these general use snares or were they specialty snares i mean what what would you use this for they were perfect wood snare drums whatever you Got need it. out of a snare drum they did it and um you'll hear it in in the audio we're going to drop in no muffling and yes they ring they sing but they don't they're not it's not annoying and i think part of it which might be a little secret that most people don't know the canopus bolt tight washers which are leather that is designed to actually eliminate a lot of that high bite, that high ring that we tend to just want to muffle out. So if you have a, a drum really? that just has some weird, super high ring, get some of these bolt-tight, I think they're called bolt-tight, uh, leather washers by Canopus. It'll get rid of that. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty significant. It's like a secret weapon that they 
they advertise it, but I think we just kind of forget. I bet that I, I, this is a weird thing right before we listen to audio. But man, I really love when I'm tuning a drum and it's very smooth and not gritty. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. sure those washers would help with that too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, yeah, none of that. Yeah, that grinding. Grindy. Of, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh god, that's like the bottom of the Benny Greb ride for you. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we had a podcast listener that was as soon as he got here from Australia, his first question was like, "Do you have the Benny ride?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course, man." He's like, "Cool, I want to feel it." I'm like, oh, what? Oh man, Ugh, and he's like, "Yeah, I want to." Just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> rubbing all over the damn thing. Uh, all right, let's give this. Uh, let's give these snares a listen. <laughs> Wait a minute, which uh, one are is, we starting with? I don't know. This is the Tangent Podcast, brought to you by Modern Drummer Magazine. <laughs> all right, we're going to start with the triple flange. So you're going to hear. I'm going to edit, so you're going to hear the same tuning: triple flange, diecast, and then I'm going to tune it down a bit: triple flange, diecast. So we'll hear a few different tunings. So each time the pitch goes down, it's starting over with the triple flange drum. <laughs>
Well, let me let me say that I think side by side, these drums both do everything you want a snare drum to do. So the differences are subtle. That it's almost like, do you need something that can withstand really loud playing? Then you need diecast. If you want a drum that that's maybe a little bit more responsive at lower volume, get the triple flange. But yeah. frankly, either one of these, I'd be like, that's your wood snare drum. You're done. Just pick one. Yeah. And you're done. Yeah. And I also think that at whichever one you choose, buy the other hoops. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah, good suggestion. Or at least one, right? That batter side hoop. Yeah, just swap that out. Um and it's because not only is it a different a slightly different sound, slightly different overtones, but it's definitely a different feel. Mm-hmm. You know when you're on somebody's kit that has all die cast tubes, you know when you're on somebody's kit that has single flange tubes. Um, it definitely has a different feel for sure. So, yeah, I remember when we did the the hoop shootout. I mean, those snares were just, they're just pure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you could hear something transform in the lower tunings, but not enough to be like, that's clearly a different, totally different sounding instrument. I think Do you know where they the, sit price-wise? You know, I don't have the price on these exactly. It, uh, I'm assuming these are probably around the thousand dollar range, but we sure. should probably check just because of that specialized finish. But you can find even their um, their Yaiba series, which is the more kind of price friendly series. The shells are still the same. It's just they're 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 cutting back on cost by using uh, die, uh, cast hardware instead of brass. So gotcha. I mean, even their Yaiba stuff I've found to be pretty much flawless. So. You kind of can't go wrong with their stuff um, if you're looking. Yeah, you know, and definitely check out these snares. Just type it into Google. Um, the um, God, I always I always freak myself out to say their name because I don't want to get in trouble. Canopus <laughs> yeah. uh, stabilized. We got in trouble the first episode. I butchered their name. The Canopus stabilized wood snares. Check it out. Just type it into Google because you should see what these things. They look amazing on the Modern Drummer page, and that's probably the first result that'll come up. But you get to see a ton of Nam pictures of them, and mm. they look even crazier when you can see them in different lights. And you see, oh, okay, that's because when you shoot anything against a white background for product photography, it's really hard to tell what it actually looks like. But when you see it in the real world, you're right; I, it actually looks more beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I'm not one to really want anything remotely flashy, but both of these drums, like you know, I, I would use these on a gig and be like, "Yep, that's my snare drum. That's a beautiful instrument." Yeah. Pretty amazing stuff. So yeah, check out Canopus again. All their stuff. I have not. I've not played one drum that they've made that hasn't been like, okay, that's exactly what it's supposed to do and sound like. <laughs> right. <know>? So <laughs> and that's a drum. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. And they do some really kind of cool, high end, crazy stuff too. So always loving to check out some Canopus drums. But those in particular were really neat. It's the stabilized wood snares. Apparently, I have a, a five millimeter bronze snare coming to me to check out next oh my goodness yeah, it's gonna be a mammoth <laughs> Jeez, louise well keep drinking those protein shakes all right let's get to your questions okay this is from andrew i've been playing rock and roll drums for about 15 years but i've been taking it more seriously in the past year and started noticing my bass drum knee has started to hurt a little between the bottom of my kneecap and the top of my shin hmm when I sit at the kit normally, my leg is at about a 90-degree angle. I was thinking maybe I need to start sitting higher. Um, also, when I get rocking, I hit the bass drum pretty hard, and I wanted to see if you guys had any experience like this before or any ideas of how to correct it or if I need knee replacement. I don't think you're going to need knee replacement yet. You know what? Actually, just get it based off of our recommendation. <laughs> don't even talk to your doctor. Just go, just go in and, and said, Mike and Mike said I need a knee replacement. 
what door is that? And then just go in that door and get one. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I think you generally find the, I guess, what fixes these problems pretty quick just by raising your snare for a day. I remember going through some lower back pain and I tried a bunch of different things. Wasn't working. I threw a back on my throne. Mm. I got one of those Tama thrones that had a back on it. Yep. And in, like within a day, my lower back pain was gone. Cool. We fixed that. I think changing your seat height for a day or two and seeing how that works would be great. Also, try to figure out how much of that force that you're throwing into the bass drum pedal is actually related to volume. I, I notice a lot of people hit the bass drum so much harder than they need to just because they've been jamming with guitarists and rock bass players their whole life. Yeah. And they just don't even know how to back off. And I'm like, honestly, man, once you get to the gig, you're, they're going to mic you. You don't need to put that much force into it. You know? Yeah. It's, I mean, I've had, I've had that exact discomfort that you're describing and it happened to me when i had to play a lot of like three hour club dates where i was playing four on the floor nonstop, and i was didn't realize it that i was two things was happening i was never relaxing my leg it was constant tension Mm -hmm. like if i was burying the beater when i wasn't playing and i was smashing the head when i was and also the way my kit was set up i was set up with the bass drum facing front and I was trying to torque my body to face front, so there was just that tiny little bit of twisting at the knee that was just causing it to come, you know, my leg to come down at a at an awkward, minor, tiny little angle. So for no, me, I agree. I've I've had that with my hi hat before, and I had to like, look, and I looked down. I was like, oh, how did my hi hat stand shift to that angle? Yeah, I'm putting some really weird tension on my knee by doing that. Yeah, so you might want to just try sh- turn like either angling your bass drum just a little bit off, or allowing your body to kind of face not dead center. Or the, yeah. ve- the vector bass drum pedal was that's why I got that pedal because that's that was when that first started happening. The footboard on the vector pedal is is offset so you're, you can sit normal and not have to change your bass drum. Oh, okay. So check that out or just you know just Jim Riley does a great uh, uh, clinic on this. So you could probably find something on YouTube where he explains his setup where he has the bass drum just angled slightly off center, a little bit more like yeah. what you would have two bass drums kind of that kind of a setup. Makes Hopefully sense. Hopefully that helps. Awesome. And then, you know, get knee replacement surgery in a couple years. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our next one is from Tim. Says, hi, guys. I'm wondering if you can help me out. I'm in my mid-40s and have been playing drums a gig on a weekend since college. Within the last year, the strangest thing has been happening. I've always played mostly heels up, but within the last six months, I've noticed that about 30 minutes into the gig... I find that all of my weight is focused on my right foot and the bass drum beater becomes glued to the bass drum head, making it very difficult to play. Between songs, I uh, recenter my throne, move it up, move it down to the right, to the left, but I'm still falling forward into the drum set. So I've always had high-quality thrones and even purchased a new one. So he's experimented with heights and angles. Um, He's 5'11", in good shape, lifts weights, practices yoga. I'm focusing on balance and posture while playing, but even when I am mindful of all of this, it doesn't seem to correct anything. Did he say heel up or heel down? Heel up. Mostly heel up. Yeah, I mean, I think heel up is such a, a almost a misnomer just because of the fact that if you see someone play with a heel up technique, you could maybe fit a pencil or a roll of chapstick under their heel. I mean, mm. when I hear the term heel up, I'm thinking, oh, okay, you've got high heels on, you're on your toes. But when I look down at my foot, and I've, I'm always a heel up player, I mean, it's really like maybe an inch 
uh, mm-hmm. off. It's it's really more just the muscles that I'm using to make the pedal go down, which happens to be mostly in my hip flexors rather than in my ankle. Um, and I'm, I'm not using the ankle as the joint that's moving the pedal as much as I'm using my hip flexor. So there, it could be that maybe you're just a little bit too much in a heel up position. And so bringing it down where almost your heels are actually touching the pedal, it's just that force that's driving the pedal down is coming from your leg instead of just your ankle. Yeah, and I try to be very conscious of relaxing my foot 100% whenever I'm not playing. Even even between within, hits. Yeah, between hits, my, my, my leg just comes down and rests on the floor just to to get that rid of that tension and that i mean i think if you're doing that if if you're relaxing your leg there's no way that it could be glued to the bass drum head it's just not possible yeah and i do the same thing i mean it i can tell you this and this might help a lot tim maybe i'm really hoping that was his name mm-hmm. okay thanks good memory um, <laughs> <laughs> if you replay the play, you can hear the trepidation in my voice as I go, this might help a lot too, Tim. Tommy, Tim. <laughs> Tim, Tim. So anyways, Jason, what you want to do is, uh, so no, what might help a lot is when you can, if you have a second bass drum at home, that's even better. But just spend a few days, get rid of the pillow, get rid of everything, crank your heads up and spend a few days playing a wide open bass drum. And I still play heel up, but because I played a wide open bass drum for quite a while, I had to train myself that after every hit, I actually went to heel down and relaxed mm-hmm. my leg. So if I have multiple hits in a row, I stay in heel up. If it's doom, just the just between the kick and the next kick, it might only be a half of a second, but just taking that tension off my leg changes everything. And that and I don't know if I would have ever done that if I didn't play an open bass drum that forced me to do that. I would have always just buried the beater and left it there. Yeah. And so even though I'm playing a a 1960s round badge bass drum which by the way wide open would go boom <laughs> i have a pillow in it and i still play off of the head i still don't bury the beater because it, it gives me a chance just like mike said it gives me a chance to take the tension off of my muscles yeah good luck let us know how it goes um because it's probably we probably would even need to see some video to really assess it yeah, but just agreed. try that at first and we'll see what happens all right, we do one more. We've got um, this one is from Todd. I'm looking around for a new drum set, and I've decided on the Mapex Armory, which has a birch maple birch shell. They come in two configurations: eight by ten, nine by twelve, fourteen by fourteen, and sixteen by sixteen. Or there's a version with shallow or fast tom: seven by ten, eight by twelve, twelve by fourteen, and fourteen by sixteen. Both have the same twenty-two inch bass drum. Okay. So the kit will probably be used mic'd up, or using a smaller venue um so volume isn't really an issue and it's he says i'm around five foot nine so any pros or cons for each configuration uh i think being five nine the shallower toms will probably give you a little bit more flexibility to be well, able to bring especially because he's on a 22 inch bass drum yeah, so exactly. he can't get it so i totally agree with that uh, that's about. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing I would consider is can you get the rack toms to where you want them? If it's an eight by ten yeah. and a nine by twelve versus a seven by ten and an eight by twelve, that one inch of depth is, can make or break a comfort spot, especially with a bigger twenty-two inch bass drum, right? I mean, that's any other reason yeah. why you would go one over the other? No, I mean, I, I would say looks. The other thing, you know, I mean. The shorter toms look a little bit more modern to some people. I, I really would get the kit that you would be the most excited about. I think just getting – if it was a 20-inch bass drum, uh, I don't know. Uh, it would be 
kind of a toss up for mm-hmm. me. But since you're five nine and you're getting a twenty two inch kick, you're gonna that extra inch that you're losing on the toms actually gives you a lot more flexibility, um, and you don't have to raise your kit up so high. So I think you'll I think you'll like the fast toms, and they're fun to play. Yeah, I mean they're not like super shallow either, so it, it's they won't no, be. It's not silly. Yeah, so not go. pancake drums. My so God, go with the shallow drums. Done. <laughs> Boom. We made a decision for somebody. One knee replacement, one set of shallow drums, and one person just has to play off the head. <laughs> right. Changing the world, bud. All right, we could use uh, more of your your listener questions. Send them to mdinfo at modernjumber dot com, or you can submit them to the Modern Jumber Podcast Facebook page. Um, I would prefer that you actually post them to the the wall of that page rather than send them as a message because the the Facebook Messenger app is a little squirrely and sometimes those things just get lost in some weird area on Facebook. I don't know how to find some of them. So anyway, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com or post them over on the Modern Drummer fa- uh, podcast Facebook page. Cambridge Analytica is all over our Modern Drummer messages. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, this is where the craziness is happening. No, I agree, man. I, I'm with you. All right. It is time for our picks of the week, and Mr. Dawson will be doing more history, so I'll get mine out of the way fast for you. Uh, this is something that I've had for a long time, but it always ends up being the coolest thing at drum camp. And I wanted to make sure you knew that you probably had it, because I was just talking to my buddy Steve Harding he was out at uh, at the Cowbell video shoot, and he has an old Yamaha brain. And he goes, dude, my old Yamaha brain for my old DTX kit has the rhythm gate. And the rhythm gate, I think, is the most useful feature on any Yamaha brain. And if you don't know what it is, it's it's like a time trainer, and but it's a little bit different than what other companies have. So I, I don't know why other companies haven't done this unless maybe Yamaha has a patent on this. But what happens is you turn on the rhythm gate, you get a metronome coming through your headphones or through your speakers, and you are now set to a 16th note grid. So even though you're only hearing the click and quarter notes, the brain is feeling everything in a 16th note grid. And then you can play grooves and fills, and anything outside of that 16th note grid, the pads won't work. So the pads turn off because you're dragging or you're rushing. Uh, and then it has different settings. So you can have it on off, which would just be a normal drum set. You can have it on easy, which has a wide tolerance. You can have normal, which has a mid-level tolerance. And then pro has a very narrow tolerance. You have to be spot on to do the pro. There's also a challenge setting, which where the tolerance will change based off of how sloppy or clean you are. So if you're mm. playing clean, it's going to narrow that tolerance. If you're all over the place, it's going to open it up just a little bit. I usually just leave it on normal. That's more than enough. And I have my campers do one bar of groove, one bar of fill, one bar of groove, one bar of fill. Remember, everything has to be based in 16th notes. It can be syncopated, but it, you can't exceed 16th notes. Uh, and if you if you wanted to go to 30 second notes, all I would tell you is just bring the uh, metronome up to, say, 200 BPM and treat it as now the quarter notes or eighth notes for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could do that. So, But the thing is... On the newer brains, it's very easy to get to this. On old DTX brains, it's not obvious that this feature is there, but it is in there. So I would suggest that all you do is go to YamahaDTX.com, and then they have a whole resource category that'll you know just type in in their search uh, thing. You're looking for the uh, DTX rhythm gate, and if you search for that, I guarantee your Yamaha brain has that in it, and it is such a cool function. I imagine you can probably find some used DTX 
modules relatively cheaply these days. Totally, like crazy cheap. The old, the little tiny DTX modules you could get those on Reverb for maybe a hundred bucks. And I, now you know more than I do, but pads are just triggers, right? So you could plug yeah. a like a Roland pad into your DTX brain. Well, you'd have to be careful with the the polarity Multis. of how the pads are wired. I think. Okay. I think Roland. And Yamaha may or may not speak well together, but any other oh, really? okay. other mix and match, it should be fine. Um, yeah, just get one of those uh, uh, the and, super pads that Aquarium makes with the trigger inside. Yeah. Throw it on your kit. Yeah, exactly. Good to go. Pintech. I mean, there's all kinds of options. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's a great great suggestion. No, I think Roland does have something similar in their kit. So if anyone has a Roland they, kit, that could share the the function. They do. They have a time trainer, and it's more like it's giving you a readout of a percentage but it doesn't turn the pads off and i mm. think that that's what is so cool is as soon as you, you know, go to hit something and it makes no noise in your headphones you know right away like i'm off now what the yamaha i wish it did give you a oh over the last five minutes you are 20 percent accurate or whatever mm. i wish it had a readout it doesn't but it does show you on a graph that you're either early or late so in in real time so you can see like okay i've been i've been rushing let me just um pull back a little bit so have you cool. ever uh, discovered the buzzer on the Beatnik pad? No. Yeah, if you're really off, there's like a a, a salting buzzer that sounds. Shut up! <laughs> it's like no a clown way. horn. <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of the Beatnik, our uh, our student from Australia, I didn't know. I've never known how the Beatnik judged anything, and he was the first person to get three percent. And I said, "Okay, that's not possible." Wow. <laughs> you that's and and we were all in the room it sounded fine i mean you could tell he wasn't spot on but i was like it wasn't three percent bad i was like maybe i need to change the batteries i've i've dealt with this before sometimes when if the batteries are running down so i'm like why don't you take another spin he got six percent i was like let me take a spin it's probably jacked i got 98 percent. now this was on uh medium or whatever and yeah. we were just doing single strokes no accents but i could hear i'm like dude you're not that off then we looked at it he never once was on, not even once. He was completely like 128th note off, like early, every single note. <laughs> so I think the beatnik re- doesn't reward you for how close you are to it. No, you it rewards within, you for being on. you got to be within a window. So if you're, okay. if you're outside that window, it's zero. You're, it's, right. It's a, so he was consistently zero the whole time. Never rushed, never dragged. Weird. He just heard time slower <laughs> than it is. And so I had to let him, I'm like, Bro, I'm telling you, you're a really good drummer. Uh, Like, do not let this silly device dictate your future. Uh, But (laughs) it was crazy. But it it was weird because I just thought, man, you should get like 70% because we can see on the graph you're super, you're crazy consistent. He was not all over the place. You were just consistently never on. So now, but that's, I mean, isn't that what the beatnik is for more than anything is, okay, at least you know you drag. Dude, yeah, you, you never rushed. Yeah. I mean, you never wavered. You just hear things slower. So just push a little bit and you'll always be on. Yeah. I'd rather have that than see my graph, which is like early, late, early, late, 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 <laughs> early, early, late. Hey, you nailed it. I, I mean, at least if I'm consistently wrong, I can just fix that easy. Yeah, that's. I've never even heard of that to be. I mean, you would have to be a 64th note off, essentially. I think that's about where he was for an entire 45 seconds. Crazy. Never wavered. Wow, that's freaky. weird, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe he's the best drummer I've ever encountered, and we don't even know it. Either way, oh, the dude was a stud. All so. right, so my pick of the right, week is our drum history uh, historical figure, Papa Joe Jones. 
this is a he's obviously I can't even begin to describe his contribution to the art form in a minute and a half, but <laughs> I think he's his nickname Papa Joe for a good reason. He is the Papa of modern drumming in a lot of ways. So think about what he did. So he was born in 1911, passed away in 1985. Most notably, he was the drummer in the classic Count Basie Orchestra from 1934 to 1948. What did he do in the Count Basie Orchestra? Well, that band is largely notorious for smoothing out the feel of a big band. So if you contrast what we listened to last week with Chick Webb, very fiery, very very edgy, Duke Ellington, a little bit kind of more old-school sounding, kind of dotted 8th, 16th interpretation of swing feel, the Count Basie band is what made the 8th note the swing feel. And then so Papa Joe had to figure out, well, I'm not going to be able to play time on the snare drum where it's all syncopated and choppy and the bass drum. Maybe I don't need to be slamming 4-4 on the bass drum anymore. So he started keeping time on the hi-hat. So he's largely credited with the person who decided timekeeping on the hi-hat is going to be a thing. So if you listen to all that classic Count Basie stuff, he's swinging the band most of the time on the hi-hats rather than the snare drum or the bass drum. And then later on, he also was one of the one of the pioneers of brushes. So and that whole language. So he's he comes from a tap dancing background. So there's like oh so many facets of his playing that you listen to. Like oh that must have been his thing. That must have been his thing. He also was one of the first people to really explore the ride cymbal when we shifted into the bebop era. So mm. and his solo his his approach to drum soloing super inventive. First drummer I ever saw with with like a symmetrical kit so he could do crossovers and things. So just explored Papa Joe's catalog is vast. I mean, you can hear him with Count Basie. You can hear him with his own trio doing some amazing brush work. There's dozens of, of videos on YouTube. Check him out. He's, he's incredibly important. I mean, Max Roach dedicated one of his solo pieces to him, Mr. Hi-Hat. That's dedicated mm-hmm. to Papa Joe Jones. So... Definitely a huge historical figure that we can't let be forgotten. Just how 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 seismic that shift was to go from the marching band style, big band drumming to smooth it out. We're going to play hi hat yes. time. So that's Papa Joe Jones. Check him out. We're going to drop in some audio here of the Papa Jones Trio. <laughs> Why do we even try? <laughs> it's all been done better than we can ever do it. And, and man, that that <laughs> that genre, that that time period where every time you hit the bass drum by itself, you had to open up your hands. Oh yeah, oh, you yeah. know, it's like it's- boom, <laughs> boom, and then you just like kind of throw it out like 
Nailed it. So cool, man. I mean, I remember that jazz history video series that maybe DCI did, uh, Mm -hmm. Jazz Drummer History. Yep, yep. And I remember watching it, and it pretty much went in chronological order. Like, And when they got to Papa Joe, I just remember thinking, like, the showmanship was something that I hadn't really seen ever from a drummer at that time. I mean, Mm -hmm. everyone wore the nice suits, and everyone had the cool bass drum head logo and everything but i had never seen anything quite like that where mm-hmm. i thought okay this guy if the band leaves we're fine yeah that, right. that dude can handle it. it was almost that the same way that you felt when you would see sammy davis on a kit where you go the guy's going to stand up any second now start tap dancing then he's going to sing a song yep. then he's going to tell a story and papa was papa joe was the first one that i saw that had that yeah i think he he kind of brought the sophistication to it like there was the wild yes. man drummer i think krupa was kind of epitomized mm-hmm. just a wild sure. man drummer but then no he's going to be real sophisticated and just do some some really slick stuff good god yeah i awesome. that that, that was brushes, by the way, folks. That, that ran me over like a freight train. <laughs> My goodness. All right. So Amazing. We'll, we'll continue with this uh, segment until I run out of ideas, which I don't know. We've got 100 years of, of stuff what to do. What do you think? With. Right around the time we get to like Matt Gartzko, we're like, and that's drum history. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> we'll need knee replacement surgery by that point. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for making the last four years go by way faster than Mike or I realized. We've had a blast doing this with you. Uh, remember, you can still you still have a chance to win that snare drum. Just put up anything on inst- Instagram with the hashtag at Modern Drummer Podcast. The more creative you are, the more bonus points you get. It won't increase your chances of winning because it's going to be randomized. But we are watching, and it is epic. So you don't have to go skydiving. But if you want to <laughs> swim with some sharks and go... <laughs> then we're good. <laughs> All right, we're going to uh, send us off here with uh, Ian Hits Drums. That's his, that's his Instagram handle. This is a great drummer, Ian. He's playing. This is all live. It might sound like he's playing to some loops and stuff, but it's all live. He's playing a. 13. This is the drum and bass guy, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a beast. He's incredible, man. He's I a beast. Him. So he's got a sugar percussion 13 by 22 concert bass drum, so it's just single-headed. There's no hardware even for a front head. He's got a 14-inch floor tom. Both of those drums are popular, and then he has a 5 by 14 mahogany snare. Ian Hits Drums is his Instagram handle. If you're not following him, definitely do so. That's it. We're out of here. Later, bud. See ya.